for many um, first-time entrepreneurs, for many inexperienced entrepreneurs, the initial reaction to a competitive market is fear. When you see that a market is already competitive, you are afraid. That's from my experience. I noticed that is the that is the usual reaction of inexperienced entrepreneurs. But an experienced entrepreneur knows that the moment you see a crowded market, that is a green flag. That is a green flag for you because it tells you, wow, there is money to be made in this market. Because if, if people are in this market, if people are in this market, it proves that there is demand in this market. And then all I have to do is to just go in there, see what people are not doing so well, improve on it, and boom, I can carve some of that market share for myself. That's how experienced entrepreneurs think. But then first-time entrepreneurs are afraid because they think that um, a, a crowded market is, is not an advantage. Instead, they ignore a crowded market and they're looking for markets where they are going to end up being the, um, the experimental item or the guinea pig in, in, that, in that market. Every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start, grow, or turn around your business. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. I am your host, John Paul Iwoha. Today's episode, an interesting one, as usual, and um, that's because I'm going to be talking about market entry. I'm going to be talking about market entry strategy, specifically how to start a business in a crowded or competitive market. Now, this is a very important topic, especially for anyone who is about to start a business or you've already started a business, but you're considering introducing a new product or service into the market, right? Market entry is a very important milestone for a business because it is one that can make or break you. You may end up investing time, money, effort, sweat, and tears into um, a product or service you're very passionate about. You introduce it into the market and then it doesn't take off like you expect. So market entry is very important. And particularly around the topic of crowded and competitive markets, you see, now the thing is 99.99% of businesses in the world, anywhere in the world, sell a product or service that already exists. Now think about it, 99.99%, right? Because you can imagine there is nothing new under the sun. Most of the products that are already in the market are sold by many kinds of businesses. And then I often come across people who say they want to start a business that is very, the product is very unique and doesn't exist on the market. There are very few products that you can think of, right, that are not yet on the market. Even if they are not yet in your immediate market, somebody else in the next city in another country is already doing it, right? So there's a very uh, huge sense of similarity when it comes to products and services that are already available on offer in the market, right? And there's a reason for this, right? And the reason is that any product with a high demand likely has a crowded market. So it's like businesses are responding to consumer demand. Whatever it is that people are looking for, whatever it is that people want to buy, whatever people need or want is definitely going to have high demand. And when you think about it, things like food stuff, food products, 
You think about clothing. You think about petrol. You think about cooking gas. You think about soap. Anything that people want, anything that people need on a continuous basis, anything that enjoys high demand, you will likely see a lot of businesses that are engaged in selling that product or selling that service. It's just a natural reaction from the market. And there is one surprising thing I noticed, which, of course, if you're listening to this and you have any experience of uh, visiting any markets on the African continent, there is this weird thing I noticed, which I call bunching. It's a bunching effect of competitors. I notice that when I walk into an open air market, an informal market, and these are like, it's the, it's a big deal in any African city or town. That's where most people buy things, especially food stuff. You walk into any market, you notice that all the people who sell things like tomatoes and peppers, all of them are in the same area within the market. You want to buy meat. All of them are within the same area. You want to buy yam, tubers, anything you want to buy. You notice that all of them are in the same area of the market. And I remember asking myself, why would you want to bunch yourself together with people that sell the same thing that you sell? Right. And then when you walk into that area, everybody is selling tomatoes and then they are calling you. They are calling on you to come. Oh, customer, come by, come by, come by. Right. You walk into the place where they sell fish and all of them are selling fish. Why would you want to congregate with your competitors? Why not separate yourself across the market? Right. Now, some of these things may not make sense to you when you first of all encounter them, but in the grand scheme of things, they are by design. And the reason is that when you walk into a market as a as a person who wants to buy products or services, you want convenience. You want to walk into a particular place and buy fish. You want to walk into a particular place and buy vegetables. You want to walk into a particular place, buy meat or whatever it is you want to buy. So that organization helps. And then it gives you more bargaining power as the, as the buyer, right? But I'm not going to go into detail with that until later on in the episode. So to go back to the crux of this episode, which is, you know, how to get into a crowded market or a competitive market. Let's, let me first look at the, the issue, the subject of crowding, right? What exactly is a crowded market? In, in summary, to be a market where, you know, there's a, a dominant product or service. There's the, there are players or it could be one player. It could be several players who dominates the markets that you want to enter, right? And there are three ways I would categorize a crowded market. One type of crowded market, which is very common, is a fragmented market. So in, in that kind of competitive market, you have many different businesses that are selling the same kind of thing you want to sell, but all of them are like small players. Some of them are like sole proprietorships, very small, micro, small businesses, but there are many of them that are selling almost the same thing. So it's a fragmented market because you have many different players, but all of them are selling similar products or similar services to the products that you want to bring into the market. That's one type of crowded market. Another crowded, another type of crowded market is what the economists will call an oligopolistic market. So besides that, technical name. What it means is it's a kind of market where you have few big players that dominate the market. If I have to think of one example, it would be what's happening with the telecommunications industry in Africa. In most African countries, you have about three, four, five big companies that dominate the telco industry, 
right? So that's some oligopoly. There are not many fragmented players. There are just a few players that are sharing that market, but they dominate the market. It can be very difficult to come into that kind of market because these guys already control more than 90% of the market. So that's another type of crowded market. And then the third type of crowded market is like a, a, a market that is dominated by a monopoly. You have one major player that dominates the market with their product or their services. And it's very difficult to get into that market because it will be difficult for you to compete with that that gigantic player. And then in some countries, you will find a monopoly in industries that are controlled by a government, you know, by the government. So the government will usually have their own um, state-owned enterprise or state-owned uh, company that is the sole licensee or the sole player that is sanctioned to play in that market. Now, so if you're trying to go into any industry, you're trying to start any business, and you're you're about to go into a crowded market or a competitive market, I can bet you it's going to be one of these three. It's, it's likely you're, walk, you're going to walk into a market where you have many small players that dominate the market, or you have very few but big players that dominate the market, or you have just one major gigantic player that dominates that market. So these are the, the types of crowded markets that are out there. But then before I even go into the uh, specific strategies you can use to improve your chances of success in a crowded or competitive market, let's even look at the concept of a crowded market. Why would any sane, normal person want to get involved in a crowded market? Like I, like I, I mentioned earlier in this episode, 99.99% of businesses in the world are selling products or services that other businesses already sell. So with this whole thing about I want to be different, I want to be unique, I want to be special, I want to be able to offer something and sell something that nobody else is doing, right? How realistic is it really that you can start a business that nobody else is doing? How realistic is it? Now, besides uh, the real, you know, the realistic nature of that choice, the very nature of 99.99% of businesses doing business that other businesses are already doing. Why would anybody want to do that? So let me, I want to explore the advantages and the disadvantages of going into a crowded market. So right now you may just be seeing the, the disadvantages, but there are some very strong advantages, you know, that make a strong case for why you should consider going into a crowded market, you know, compared to starting something that is unique or different that nobody knows. There is a compelling reason why you should be attracted to competitive markets. So the thing is, why should you be attracted to competitive markets? I'm going to give you three strong reasons. The first major advantage of a crowded and competitive market is that it proves that there is real and significant demand, right? So you don't need to guess if there is demand. You don't need to speculate or theorize, you know, you can be sure that there is demand because people are already buying those products and services. And the, the presence of competition, strong competition, the presence of a crowded market proves that there is demand for that product or services. Now, the, the existence of demand is a variable you are likely going to take for granted. But my friend, it is one of the biggest killers of new businesses. Up to 40% of businesses fail because they created a product or started a business that renders a service that nobody wants to buy. 
it is a major killer of new businesses. Starting a business with a product or service that you think people want to buy, but it ends up that nobody wants it. So, but when you're going into a crowded market, you can be sure that people want that product or service. How, how do you know that? Because there is an existing market for it and it is a crowded market and there's competition within, you know, among the players. Now, the beauty of confirming that there is demand before you actually start a business is that you don't need to struggle too much to make sales. It's almost guaranteed that you, you are likely going to make sales because people want what you're selling, right? Compared to when, when people don't know if they want what you're selling, when people don't understand what you're selling, that's when you invest a lot of money in advertising and promotion and um, uh, consumer awareness and educating the market and things like that. So your advertising expense becomes huge because people don't understand what you're selling. But if people understand what you're selling, if people are familiar with what you're selling because they already know other businesses that sell it, you you don't need to spend so much on advertising and marketing, at least to get people aware of the product or service. Instead, your promotion and advertising efforts will be geared towards convincing people to buy from you and not from other people that sell the uh, a similar product or service. So that is one very strong reason why people, why you should be attracted to a crowded or competitive market. It proves that there is demand, significant demand for the product or the service. The second reason why you should be interested in a crowded or competitive market is that it is easier, it is easier to tap into an already existing demand than to try to create new demand from scratch, right? If you see people who have tried to create something that people don't understand, um, you know, when people don't understand something, they will not buy it. I will not buy something I don't understand. And I'm sure you will not buy something you don't understand, right? So it's a very frustrating experience when you're trying to sell something that people don't understand, right? But then when you are going into a market where people are already aware of the product or service you want to sell. For example, if you're going to sell petrol or you're going to sell food or you're going to sell a different kind of soap or you're going to sell baby products or you're going to sell um, consumer products or household goods, you know, people are already familiar with all these things. Or you're going to come into the market with a, a different kind of detergent. People know what detergent is. They use it all the time, right? So it might just be that yours smells differently or yours washes clothes better than most of the, all the other products. But the basic product, which is a detergent, people already understand what it is. Compared to when you have some gadget that you claim does a certain thing, but people don't really understand it. It's going to be, it's going to be much more difficult to sell. So this second reason keys into the first one, which is that it is easier to tap into an existing demand than to create your own demand from scratch. That's the second reason why you need to be, why you should be interested in a crowded or competitive market. The third reason why you should be interested in a crowded market is, is the opportunity it gives you to see gaps and mistakes to exploit. Because guess what? It's a market that already exists. It's a market that already has other businesses that are playing in it. So you have a very interesting opportunity to look at what everybody is doing. Look at what they are selling. Look at how they are selling it. Look at what customers are saying. Look at their frustrations. Look at the disappointments. Look at the mistakes that these businesses are making. And then you can capitalize on it. It's like you're already seeing, you're already seeing the ground, the landscape 
before you get in. So, and that's the unique opportunity that a crowded market gives you. If it's a market that nobody is playing in, guess what? You are going to be the first mover. Yes, sometimes being the first person in an industry that has a product or service can have its advantages. But you know what I've, what I've, I've noticed? Sometimes it's better to be the second person or the third person. Do you know why? Because being the first person means that you're going to be the guinea pig. You're going to be the experimental, um, item that other people are going to learn from because you're going to be the person that will make the mistakes. You make all those gaps because you're the first person in that market. You don't know what you don't know, but the second person coming after you, the third person coming after you can learn from the mistakes of the first person. And that's the advantage you have when you're walking into a crowded market. You can see the mistakes that people are making. You can listen to the feedback of customers, you know, and build on it. You can see the gaps in the products. You can see what people are complaining about. You can look at, you can see their prices. You can see the quantities they are selling. You can see how they are selling it and, and things like that. So that's the advantage that a crowded and competitive market gives you that an open market will not give you. Because when you go into an open market, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what mistakes you're going to make. You don't know what the expectations are from customers. You don't know how customers are going to react. You don't know if they're going to say your price is too high or too low. You don't know if they're going to say your product is not the quality they were expecting. You just don't know what you don't know. And that is the disadvantage of walking into a market where you don't have anybody who is playing in that market. But if you have people who are already playing in the market, you have an advantage because you can see firsthand the mistakes that people are making. So that's it for the advantages of considering a crowded market, why you should be interested in a crowded and competitive market. Because the thing is, for many um, first-time entrepreneurs, for many inexperienced entrepreneurs, the initial reaction to a competitive market is fear. When you see that a market is already competitive, you are afraid. That's from my experience. I noticed that is the that is the usual reaction of inexperienced entrepreneurs. But an experienced entrepreneur knows that the moment you see a crowded market, that is a green flag. That is a green flag for you because it tells you, wow, there is money to be made in this market. Because if, if people are in this market, if people are in this market, it proves that there is demand in this market. And then all I have to do is to just go in there, see what people are not doing so well, improve on it, and boom, I can carve some of that market share for myself. That's how experienced entrepreneurs think. But then first-time entrepreneurs are afraid because they think that um, a, a crowded market is, is not an advantage. Instead, they ignore a crowded market and they're looking for markets where they are going to end up being the, um, the experimental item or the guinea pig in, in, that, in that market. But then having said these things I've said about the advantages of a crowded or competitive market, there are also risks and dangers. There are downsides of walking into a crowded market. So I'm also going to balance the three advantages I gave you with three risks, three downsides you should be aware of when um, you're looking at a crowded market. The first danger of a crowded market is that it can be difficult to get exposure as a new business in a crowded market. You are, you are, you are almost drowning in a sea of other competitors. It's like walking into the fish section in my local market and all of them are selling fish. I don't know who to, I, I don't, I'm, I'm so, I'm so as a, as the buyer, I am really excited because I have a lot of options. You know, I can play them off 
one another. I can look for the person who has like the, the bigger fish, the more interesting fish at the price that I want to buy. Now, if you're a new player in a market where there are already a lot of competitors and players that are selling, you know, a similar product or service, you can drown in all that noise and it can be very difficult for people to even know that you exist. And what that means is that you need to invest more in making yourself visible. You know, whether it's through your marketing, your advertising, creating a competitive advantage that will make you stand out, differentiating yourself from all the other players. I'm going to talk about um, some of these things later in this episode. But the, 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 the danger you need to look out for is that in a crowded market, you can get drowned in all that competition. In, you can get drowned in the crowd. That's the first danger. The second danger is that depending on the kind of market you're walking into, if it's a market that has that that's selling um, uh, a product that I would normally call more or less a commodity, I'll talk a bit more about that. But if it's a market where most of the competition is around price, so if you're in a market or you're selling a product or service where your biggest differentiator is the price, the where the main thing you can change to attract customers is the price. It can lead to intense price competition. And the problem with price competition, when you drop your price, the other person drops their price, you drop your price, they respond. Essentially, you're in a price war. What that does is it, it reduces the margins in the business. The, those, kind of, those kinds of businesses are not really profitable because the only thing you can do is to just sell on price, right? And when you're selling on price, and you have a lot of competition, all that competitive pressure is going to more or less be an incentive for people to drop their prices. And when you drop your prices, yes, your customers will enjoy, but then the businesses will suffer because your profit margins will be really low. And that kind of situation creates an opportunity for customers to play divide and rule. They do this divide and rule where they play you against your competitors so that they can get the, big, the, the better price. Because in such a market, the bargaining power lies with the customers. They are the ones who call the shots because they can play you guys against each other since the only way you can compete is by lowering your price. So that's a danger of a crowded or competitive market. And then the third danger I want to talk about is that you, you remember that thing I said about a commodity? If you're selling a product or service in a crowded market, that is a commodity. Essentially, a commodity is a product where you really cannot differentiate yourself. The only thing you can really differentiate is maybe the price. That's really all you can do, right? So in those kind of crowded markets, it can be difficult to differentiate yourself. Maybe create a competitive advantage and make yourself unique. It can be difficult to be unique in a crowded market if the product that's been sold is a, a commodity, right? So having looked at the upsides, the advantages of a crowded market, why you should be interested in a crowded market, and the dangers of walking into a crowded market, I now want to talk about the strategies, specific strategies you should consider if you've made up your mind to get involved in a crowded market. If you've listened to the pros and cons I talked about and the pros are weighing heavier for you and you've made up your mind that you want to get into, you're very passionate about this product, you believe it has potential and you are drawn to the opportunity of a crowded market. I now want to talk about some strategies you need to consider in entering that market. Now, the first step of getting into a competitive or crowded market is to grab the low-hanging fruits. 
right? You're getting into a market that is competitive, either has a lot of players or has a few big players or has one major player. Now, one thing is very clear. Some of those customers in that market are likely going to be dissatisfied. Some of them might find buying from the existing players inconvenient. And for some of them, you might just be the closest option, right? So if, for example, I want to buy petrol, and the petrol that has been sold is the same quality around town, and the price is largely the same, guess which petrol station I'm going to go to? I will go to the petrol station closest to my house, or the one closest along my route to work or from work. That's what I'm going to do because it's a matter of proximity. When there is nothing different between what you sell and what the other person sells, there are some customers that will buy from you because you are the closest option. And when you're the closest option, you're the, you're the more convenient option. And sometimes customers just buy out of convenience, especially if buying from you is no different from buying from other people. I would rather just buy from you because you're closer to me. So a low-hanging fruit will be those customers that you're close to. Those customers that are close to you that you can, that, that can buy from you just because you are close to them. That's, that's the main reason they are buying from you. They are buying from you because you are the closer option to them. And since what you're selling is the same, there's no, there's no difference, right? And, and then I talked about the dissatisfied customers. There are some customers in a crowded market that are likely dissatisfied. They have complaints about the product. They have issues with the price. They have issues with the quality of service. Or they have issues with other things, you know. They, in every market, there will always be dissatisfied people. Why? Because most businesses treat their customers as if all of them are the same, right? But all customers are not the same. Customers want different things, right? But then it might be, it might not be practical for a business to customize the offer they make to each individual customer. It does, it may not make financial sense. So most customers just have a standard product or a standard service and they serve all their customers the same way. So when you do that, the upside, the advantage is that it will be cost efficient for you as a business. But the downside is that some of your customers will feel that they are not optimally served. Some of your customers want more, but it may not make sense for you to give them more. Right. So in that kind of structure, naturally, there will be some customers who are not satisfied, who are not happy with the quality of service. And when that happens, it creates opportunities for new players who come into into the market. And those dissatisfied customers can be a low hanging fruit for a business that comes in for your own business. So if I had to if I if I if I had to make the move, the very first thing I would consider when I move into before moving into a, a competitive or crowded market is to find out who the, the dissatisfied customers are, what is making them dissatisfied. That is a low hanging fruit, and then who are the customers that are closer to me that will buy from me just because I'm the I'm the more convenient option because I'm the closer option. So that's it. The first strategy is to grab the low hanging fruits. The second strategy will be to differentiate your offer, right? So I, I've mentioned this in previous episodes of this podcast. When you are in business, your offer to your market goes beyond your product, right? So some people think they are selling a product, but to the customer, what they want to buy from you is more than your product. So your offer is bigger than your product. Yes, your product is part of your offer, 
So your offer is something that is bigger than your product, of which your product is part of. One component of your offer is your price. If even if your product is great, but it's not, it's not a good price for the customer, people will not buy. So this whole thing about if you make a quality product, if you make a great product, if your product is fantastic, you may have a fantastic product. But if the price is not right for the customer, that customer will not buy. Even though they love your product, even though they need your product, even though they desperately desire your product, they will still not buy. Why? Because of your price. So your price is an important component of what you sell. Risk is also another component of your offer. So if I'm going to buy a product, what happens if I take that product home and it doesn't work for me? So for the from the customer's perspective, that is an important consideration. So guess what? I will buy from somebody who is willing to accept the risk and tells me something like, uh, "Sir, you can take this product and you know try it over the next when you when you when you take it home, try it. If it doesn't work, just return it to us and we'll replace it or we'll refund your money." Guess what? Anybody who tells me that, I'm likely going to buy from them over another person who is just selling me a product and a price. So you see, all of a sudden, there's products, there's price, there's risk. But there's something else I can add into the offer. What are the terms? What if you tell me, you know, this is my product, this is my price. Um, if you take it home and it doesn't work, return it to me. But there's something else on top. You don't have to pay the full price now. You can actually pay installmentally. We offer an instrumental plan where you can pay over the next three months and upon your final payment, you can come and pick up the item. Guess what? You made it easier for me because if you were asking for that price right now, I don't have that money. It's too much money for me. But if you're going to offer me a payment plan, all of a sudden, you've opened an opportunity for me that allows me to afford your product. So you see, all of all these things are still part of the offer. So when you talk about an offer to your customer, you're not just talking about your product. Your offer goes beyond your product. Your offer is your product, is your price, is the risk, is the terms, it's the the service, is the sweeteners. I have, I've talked about these things in, in the previous episodes of the podcast. So you there, there are certain things you can play around. And the reason I'm giving you this deeper insight is that Especially when you walk into a market that looks like it's a commodity market. Sometimes it might look like the only option you have is to lower your price. But guess what? I've just told you about a couple of other things that you can introduce to sweeten the offer to your customers and differentiate yourself from your, the, the other players. So you can imagine I, 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 I see a, a market that is very competitive, very crowded, but then all of them are doing uh, what we would call cash and carry. They expect their customers to pay right there and then. And then if they take, if the customer takes home the product and it doesn't work, it's the customer's business. Imagine if I show up and I say, you know, there are a hundred other businesses that are selling this product, but the way we do business, we are an ethical business. We put the customer first and to prove our uh, customer centric focus, what we do is very simple. Customer satisfaction is very important to us. If a customer buys a product, it doesn't work for them. They can return it within seven days, within 14 days, within 30 days. We will happily replace the product. Or if the customer wants, we can give them a refund. And we're doing that because we are a customer loving business. Guess what? All of a sudden, you have differentiated yourself from all the other hundreds of businesses that are doing business the ordinary way, the traditional way. So there are still opportunities for you to differentiate yourself, even in a competitive market. Now, that's it for the second strategy, to differentiate your offer. 
Don't forget what I said. Your offer is bigger than your product. Your offer is much more than your product. The third strategy I'll talk about is to differentiate your service. Now, service is a very important but intangible component of business. So it may be intangible to both the customer and to you, but it has a lot of value. It may be intangible, but it is very valuable. Now, imagine that you're in a market that is very crowded, very competitive, and then what you're selling is basically the same, is a commodity. Everybody's selling the same thing. But what if you change your service? And I will give you a couple of prompters here. One element of service is responsiveness. How quickly do you respond to customers? Right? So imagine you, you notice a competitive market that is very lax. They take their time to attend to customers. They are not proactive. They are not responsive. They are not agile. And then you show up as a business and you are those things that most of your competitors are not. You are agile. You are responsive. You, you're, you're very empathetic. You put yourself in your customer's shoes. You do things quickly. Guess what? There are customers that will pay extra for responsiveness. <laughs> it's shocking, but that's exactly what it is. And, and I mean it when I say that all customers are not the same. There are customers that will pay for responsiveness. There are people who tell you, I do business with that company because they are very responsive. You call them on the phone. They always pick up. You send them an email. They always respond. You, 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 you send in an inquiry. You call their customer service. They solve your problem. They are responsive. And that's why I do business with them. Can you imagine? It's not because of their price. It's not because of their product, just because they are responsive. And that's because there are some customers that value their time and there are customers that value responsiveness. And even though responsiveness is not part of the product you are selling, that is the main reason why that customer is coming to your business. Responsiveness is an element of service. Another element of service is convenience. If you make life easy, for your customer, if you make the buying experience easy for your customer, some customers are going to prioritize you over all the other players, right? So there are some businesses, for example, that take pride in torturing their customers in the name of its company policy. It's our process. It's the official process. Customers don't care about your process and your policies. Customers care about themselves. Customers care, customers care about their own convenience. Customers want to quickly go to where they are going to. They have other things to bother about. Why don't you make life easier for them? So if you are that business that all of a sudden makes life easier for your customer, guess what? They are going to value you higher than all the other players, even in a very competitive market. Why? Because it's more convenient. It's more convenient to do business with you. For example, you're asking the customer, um, there are two businesses. The first one says, okay, madam, please, before we can process your order, uh, there is this form that you have to fill. And then the customer looks at the, at the form and you have 15 different fields on that form. And the customer is, and you're like, madam, I'm very sorry, but it's, custom, it's, it's company policy. All our customers have to fill this form. And the customer grudgingly fills the form because they don't have another option. And all of a sudden, another company shows up and says, oh, madam, I, I, okay, we're going to process your order. And all we need is your, your phone number. Or all we need from you is a, a valid copy of your ID. And if you have a soft copy on your phone, you can just send it to us via WhatsApp. Or madam, guess what? You, you can actually order via WhatsApp. Just send us an order and then we'll handle it. All of a sudden, you've made life easier for that customer. And they're going to consider you over that other business that's claiming that their customers must fill forms. 
Customers don't care about your processes and your policies. Those are that's your business. Customers care about themselves. They care about ease. They care about convenience. They care about speed. And those are things you can do to differentiate and improve your service. Another interesting element is ambience. And I see this. I see this element play out graciously in the uh, retail space, like supermarkets. So sometimes I, I need you to step back and look at, just compare supermarkets around your, your area. When you look at supermarkets, what they sell are basically commodities. They're selling bread, toothpaste, soap, all sorts of things that you can get from any other supermarket. But there are supermarkets that play with ambience. And by ambience, I mean the environment. You walk in there, the lighting is very adequate, is well-lighted. Some of them have air conditioning. So the, the temperature already, what it means is, you're, you know, you're walking in from the outside. You're walking in from the heat outside. If you're in Africa, where most of the time the sun is always out, you're walking, you're walking into the supermarket from the heat and you walk into the supermarket and it's cool. There's air conditioning. You know, it's well lit. Some of them have like really nice music playing in the background. And they have some side attractions and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, the environment and, you know, some of those environments are very colorful. They light up your, they light up your world with, with color, with music, with sound, with lights. And if you notice, usually there are no clocks on the wall. So what it means is that environment just absorbs you and carries you away and you just end up shopping. And many times if you, if you are, if you're monitoring yourself, sometimes you buy more than what you intended to buy walking into that supermarket. Now compare that environment to an environment where you walk in and it's very hot inside the supermarket and some areas are dark and it's smelly. You see? So all your senses, they are hitting it. One supermarket plays on your sense of sight. They do that with the lighting, with the color. They play on your sense of sound with good music. They play on your sense of smell. There are no foul smells. Everywhere is well cleaned. And, you know, it, it, it smells neat and clean, right? All sorts of things. And then you walk into the other supermarket, it's smelling stale. You can smell rat piss on, on products. It's not well lit. You can see dust. You can see dust on the shelves. You can see cobwebs in the corner. What that environment is saying is you need to leave here right now. So what do I do? If I don't have any other option, I just quickly grab the things I want to grab and I run out of that supermarket. What changed? What changed? The only thing that changed was the environment. One business and the two businesses are selling the same, the same exact thing. But the only difference was that one business played with their environment to draw me in, to absorb me and to keep me. And I ended up buying more than I should have bought. And the other business was unintentionally chasing me away because the, the site was unpleasant with all the dust and the cobwebs and the dark areas. The smell was unpleasant. There was nothing in the sound to, to keep me in. So these are very subtle, unconscious ways that businesses influence consumers. And many times, all of us, we just fall into their embrace. We just don't know. And many times, we buy more than we should. And sometimes their prices are higher than their competitors. But we don't, you know, we don't care. We don't care that their prices are high. Why? Because we're happy in those environments. Who doesn't like a well-air-conditioned environment? Who doesn't like a colorful place? Who doesn't like music? Who doesn't like to have their sense of smell and their sense of sound? 
you know, tingled, that sort of thing. So these are just some small, you know, things you can do to differentiate your service. There are other things. French, uh, friendliness. Friendliness is one very small element that some businesses take for granted. And it starts with a smile. So imagine two businesses again. I show up at one business. This lady has had a rough time at home. Maybe her husband has given her a tough time or her kids are, are making her go crazy. I show up at, at her store. I don't know her. I've never met her before. I'm just there to buy something. And she greets me with this sad face. She's unsmiling, unwelcoming. She grudgingly answers my questions. She treats me like I have beef with her. But I'm just meeting you for the first time. What that does is you're pushing me away. I like your product. I want to buy it. The vegetables look fresh, but you're pushing me away, madam. Compare that to another business. I show up and this, this woman, you know, again, it doesn't matter. It could be a woman. It could be a man. But you welcome me with like a very wild, wide smile as if I'm an old friend, as if you know who I am, as if there's some familiarity between us. And then you ask me, depending on your environment, if it's in Africa, we're very, you know, so they ask you about how are you doing? How's the family? You know, stuff like that. And then they engage you with them. You remember the rain that fell the other day, you know, whatever. This person is just making an attempt to be friendly. I'm a human being. All of us are human beings. We are more likely going to be drawn to a person who is friendly and open than somebody who is blocked out sad and, you know, just more or less unfriendly, like you're, you're pushing me away. What does it cost? Nothing. And it can be the difference between buying from you and buying from another business. That's just the difference. The difference is service. And these things I'm telling you, if you walk into um, many of our informal local markets that are scattered all across Africa, you will notice that the successful um, people who do business there, the successful people, whether they are men or they are women, you will notice in their conversations, they say things like, and I've heard it before, that that woman has the face for business. That woman does well because she has the face for business. They don't know how to explain it. So they call it, ah, she has the face for business. To be able to succeed in business, you, you need to have the face for business. I've had this face for business right from the time I was... A, a young child, right from the time I could understand. I hear, you know, my mom says it, my dad says it. If you want to, you have to have the face for business. So I've always wondered, what is this face for business? Guess what, boys? It's not, it's not something extraordinary. The face for business means that you are, you are able to draw people into you with your warmth, with your friendliness, with your openness. That's exactly what it is. You treat people like they are friends. And then all of a sudden, because of that whole um, complementarity between human beings, they, they, they reflect to you what you have shown them. Human beings are like mirrors. They reflect to you what you've shown them. So if you're friendly, people normally, most people will try to be friendly back. And gradually, you might end up creating a relationship in business terms, which is, I've noticed that there are some people I just buy from even though their products are no different from other people. In fact, sometimes I make, um, let me use one recent example. Okay, so the barber shop I use for myself and my boys, right? The barber shop is not the closest barber shop to where I live. I have to drive quite a distance to that barber shop. And I was asking myself recently, why do I drive this extra distance to this barber shop and end up feeling like I have to tip this guy more than I should? And I'm happy to do it. Why do I drive the whole distance to go to this guy's barber shop 
And his barbershop is not like very elaborate or something. And I found out what it is. I like the way he treats my kids. When I go to cut my kids' hair, I like the way he handles my kids. And the previous places we go to, we, we used to go to, I now know why I left them. I left them, those guys were good, very solid guys with the way they cut hair. But the reason I walked out on those two places was I didn't like how they handled my kids. But I keep going to this guy, even though he's farther from where I live, because I like the way he handles my kids. And then even though compared to the other barbers, he's not the, he's not the best in terms of the finishing and then, but I don't care. For me, the value I get is his friendliness. Anytime I go, they ask me about, you know, I, he's, he's a friendly guy. And if you're offering a service, like you're going to cut somebody's hair, you're going to be touching my hair and stuff like, I feel at the minimum, I shouldn't, you should, you shouldn't feel like the enemy. I should feel like, I should feel comfortable. And the only way to draw me in is through your friendliness. And what I've just done is what most human beings will do. We will act based on our feelings, right? So these are very important things you need to consider. And that's because every relationship starts with friendliness. When you continue to be friendly over time, you build a relationship. Right. And uh, what a relationship means is I bought from you more than once. I bought, I came the first time you were friendly. I came back and I came back again. And I came, when I, when buying from you is now part of my routine, it's part of my habits. Then I, we've developed a relationship. The next level after relationship is loyalty. And most times you can't stop it because as long as you're giving me what I want, as long as that business is serving you what you need over time and you feel, you feel accepted. You feel comfortable within that environment. Over time, you will just find out that you're being loyal. You can't explain why you're buying from that business. You can't explain why you keep buying from that guy or why you keep buying from that lady. You just can't explain it. What is happening to you is that they have bought your loyalty. You are now loyal to that business and you cannot help yourself. So these are very simple. They don't cost money, but they need to be intentional. They need to be deliberate. And when you do them over time, you find out that you walk into a market where 50 people are selling the same thing. And you notice two or three people that are doing far better than the rest. You notice two or three people that are doing far better than the rest. They sell the same product. All of them are competing around the same price. So it's not as if these guys are selling any lower than all the others. So how come these three guys, how come these three guys, these three ladies or whoever it is that they are, how come they are performing better than the others? For those people who don't know better, they will tell you they are using juju, they are using juju, uh, they, they are using some um, black magic or some. It's not black magic. It's not black magic. It's just human nature. They've cracked the code. They have the face for business. These guys are building relationships with their customers. While most people just focus on one-time transactions, they show up at, at, their, at their place of business and they're just looking for the customers for that day. They just want to do transactions. The people who succeed are looking for relationships because they know that what builds a business is not one-time transactions. What builds a business is repeat customers. What builds a business, a successful business, is relationships. What builds a formidable business is loyalty. They understand that code, right? So it doesn't matter if you're in a competitive business where you have 1,000 people selling the same products and selling the same services. It doesn't matter. There's still room for differentiation if you know where to look. So at this point in the episode, I've talked so far about three strategies. I talked about grabbing the low-hanging fruits. I talked about differentiating your offer. Of, of course, if you remember, your offer is much more than your products. 
And then I just talked about differentiating your service. The fourth strategy I want to talk about is about differentiating your business model, right? So your business model is how you make money, how you, I'm sorry, how you make your products or create value, how you deliver that value and how you make money from that value. In summary, that's what your business model is about. So this is about differentiating how you do business. And one solid anchor for a business model is to tweak how you sell. So let me give you one example. If you work in a, if your business is in a traditional market where customers show up to the shop, to the office, to the warehouse, or to the market to buy from, from businesses, right? One way to tweak your, your, your business model will be rather than your customer come to you, you go to your customer. So for example, as a customer, I would buy from a business. Remember, I said it before, I will buy from a business that makes it easier for me to, to do business with them. So coming to your office is inconvenient for me. I have to leave what I'm doing, get in a car, get, be in traffic. I don't want to do those things. But if you tell me, madam, what do you want? What's the quantity? What are the terms? Okay, no problem. We'll bring it. I'll send my guy, my people to bring it to your office. Guess what? I would prefer to do business with that kind of customer because you are more convenient. And how come? How are you more convenient? Because you changed how you're doing business. While most people are expecting their customers to come to their office, you are going to your customer. You're tweaking your business model. Another way will be online channels, right? Remember the example I gave you. Um, you're asking me to fill a form or come to your office. And then another business is telling me, I can actually buy over WhatsApp. I can buy online. I can just call them over the phone and I can buy, I can just send them an email and I can buy. I would prefer that business because they're making it easier for me to be, to do business. And what have they done? They've only tweaked their distribution channel, how they deliver products to the customer. So online channels are another opportunity. Another interesting one is membership subscriptions, right? So we're beginning to notice that many businesses are moving on to the subscription model, especially if you sell a product or service that people need on a recurring basis, right? You create a membership out of it. So before Netflix, how did people buy movies? You buy movies one by one. You go to a cinema to watch a movie or you buy the, you buy a movie, but you buy it one by one. What did Netflix do? Netflix turned around the business model and said, rather than buying movies on a piecemeal basis, why not become our member and you can watch all the movies you want, right? So, that's the same model with the, with, with gyms, for example. Rather than just come to the gym once and use an equipment, we can actually encourage you to meet your fitness goals when you become our member. So you show up and use all the equipment that you want for one monthly subscription price. So there are ways you can tweak your business model, the way you do business that starts to separate you, that differentiates you from all the other competition, whether there are dozens or hundreds of them. It doesn't matter. But these are ways you can step, you can set yourself apart, even in crowded and competitive markets, right? And then let's now talk about the, um, the fifth and final strategy I want to talk about is that you target a niche or niche, whichever works for you, right? You target a customer niche. And by customer niche, what I simply mean is you target a specific kind of customer. So you, you change who you sell to. And I talked a bit about this earlier on in this episode, which is that all your customers are not the same. And I meant it when I said that, because when you serve all your customers the same way, 
by default, some of them are going to be dissatisfied because they want more from you. But you can't offer that extra that they're asking you for because it may not make economic sense for you. So rather than selling to everybody, what if I only sell to a particular kind of person? What if I only sell to women? What if I only sell to men? What if I only sell to households? What if I don't sell to individuals? I only sell to businesses, to companies, right? What if I only sell to companies in a particular industry? What if I only do education businesses or supermarkets or retail businesses, right? You see, so these are very interesting. You, you can, and the thing is, when you are serving a certain kind of customer, the way you serve them will be such that it will be impossible for them to get that kind of service in any other business that is treating all their customers the same. Because if I'm selling to a particular kind of customer, in my business, they, they are special because my product is tailored and customized for them. Imagine if I'm only selling to lawyers, for example, and uh, you compare that with a business that sells to everybody the same, whether you're a lawyer, engineer, a child, whoever, they sell to you the same. The way I would sell to a lawyer as my target customer would be very different from if I were selling to all my customers the same way. So that is the benefit of carving a niche for yourself because in every competitive market, in every crowded market, guess what? There are dozens of niches that you can carve out and serve. You know, one of my customers who plays in the fintech space only serves women, urban women, right? I have another one that only serves um, farmers in rural areas. So when you are more specific about the kind of customer you serve, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the other businesses that exist don't matter to them. Because if, for example, as a financial technology company, more or less a bank, you only serve rural farmers, that farmer feels special because my products are targeted at them. They will not feel that way if they walk into a random commercial bank or a rural development bank. The feeling will not be the same because they will just feel like any other customer because those kinds of businesses standardize their offerings for everybody. But when you come into a, a, a niche business, the feeling is, is, is much different. So at this point in the episode, um, I, I really had a lot of fun talking about these things. Let's recap. Um, I started this episode by telling you something quite dramatic, which is that 99.99% of businesses sell a product or service that already exists. So most people are already in a crowded market anyway, right? And then I talked about the types of market crowding, which essentially is how, how players would dominate a market. They could be fragmented. It could be a few major players, or it could be one major player, one gigantic player that dominates the industry. And then I talked about the advantages of a crowded market. I talked about why you should be attracted to a crowded market because it has, it, it has its benefits. And then I talked about the downsides, the dangers of, of a crowded market. And then I shared with you specific strategies you can employ in entering a crowded markets. Now, it's time to talk about our partners, Queza. Queza is doing something really interesting in uh, in the African space. And essentially, I think it's coincidental because Queza is the kind of business that has carved a niche for itself in an e-commerce logistics industry that is very crowded. DHL is in that industry. EMS, FedEx, um, Alibaba is in that industry. Amazon, 
There are all sorts of players, big and small, in the international logistics space. But Quesa focuses only on small and medium-sized businesses in Africa that want to do business outside of Africa or in other African countries. Essentially, Quesa is a platform that allows you to export products beyond your own country. You can export to customers in other African countries or you can export to customers in the US, in Canada, in Europe or to the Middle East. Now, the benefits of this are quite interesting because compared to your local markets, when you export, you can earn more because you're earning in foreign um, you're, foreign, you're, you're earning in Forex. And then you have the advantage of expanding your customer base because you can reach customers that conventionally you may not be able to reach, right? So, so that's the benefit of doing uh, business on the Quesa platform. And to check out Quesa, they have two apps on, on the App Store, on the, on, the, on the App Store and the Google Play Store. Check out the Quesa Seller app and the Quesa User app. They are two separate apps, Quesa Seller and Quesa user. The Quesa seller is if you, if you want to sell products, you want to export products beyond your African country to other African countries or outside the continent, you download the Quesa seller app. And then if you want to check out the range of products on the Quesa platform you want to buy, you can download the Quesa user app. So at this point in the episode, there are four things I need you to consider. The content of this episode you've listened to is practical stuff. You want to enter a market, you're, you're thinking of introducing a new product or a new service, or you're about to enter a market in a different country or in a different city. The tips and insights you've gained from this episode is free. And all I say is that you tell other people about the Small Starter Business Podcast. Let them listen to our backlog of episodes. We cover everything from how to raise money, how to hire the right people, how to enter a market, how to all sorts of things, all sorts of pro- problems that entrepreneurs are facing on the front line. The other thing I want you to consider is the insiders. The insiders is the private and exclusive group of entrepreneurs that I work directly with. Entrepreneurship is a journey. There is no number of episodes that you listen to that will essentially solve all your problems because um, as entrepreneurs, like I say, we always eat problems for breakfast. So the entrepreneurs who are insiders are the entrepreneurs that get direct advice from me in a group coaching setting. I help them to resolve problems. You have challenges. I can help you to walk through it. Essentially, many of the things I discuss on the Small Starter uh, Business Podcast is inspired by things I learn from my from the members and the insiders, inspired from conversations that, that we have inside the community. So to learn more about the insiders, whether you're having sales problems, trying to raise money, trying to start a new business, trying to hire people, trying to structure your business, whatever it is, check us out at smallstarter.com slash insiders. Again, it is smallstarter.com slash insiders. The next thing I want to ask you to do is if you like the podcast, you've been listening to the podcast, and you've you've got value. You've been getting value from the things um, you've heard me share on this podcast. The best way to give me a pat on the back and to say thank you will be to give us a five star review. That if you think we deserve it, you can do that on your on your on the on the app you're using to listen to this um, uh, podcast. It could be your Google Podcast app or the Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Spotify. You can leave us a five star review. You can also do that on at smallstarter.com slash review smallstarter.com slash review also you can follow me on social media i'm quite active on linkedin uh we also have a facebook group uh, you can search that the small starter 
Business Club. And um, on Twitter, I'm at JP underscore Iwoha. And I'm also at the handle at Small Status. So until the very next episode, um, I want to um, encourage you to act on the things you learn. Because change doesn't come from learning. You can just keep learning and learning. But if you don't do anything, nothing is going to change. If you want to get results, you have to apply the things you're learning. That's how you're going to get results. I don't want you to be a, a, a knowledge junkie. You're just looking for the next fix because it makes you feel good. Knowledge is worthless without action. Knowledge is worthless without, you know, applying it. So I, I want you to be that person who acts because that's way I can add more value to what you're doing. Because it's only when you practicalize these things you're learning that you can get the real value that's locked inside. So until the very until the very next episode, stay safe, and I look forward to sharing more interesting stuff with you in the very next episode. Take care. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses or join one of our signature programs for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community. See you inside.